I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And fired home by Perisic! It's Eric Dyer. Bang! Here's Lucas Moura. Oh, they did it! And an equaliser from Ben Davis. Neubier! What a strike by Bissouma. Audio's flying in again and wins it. Great work from Romero. What a save by Lloris. Jed Spence. The strike and cash on scores. Crossing Kane. Can you truly believe this? Hello and welcome to the last word on Spurs. We hope you keep him very, very safe and well. Thank you ever so much for joining us for another January Transfer Window update. If you're listening to the show for the first time, you can find us on iTunes or on Spotify or across all major audio platforms. We're, of course, on Twitter at Last Word on Spurs. We're on Facebook and Instagram too. And transfer time only means one time, which I'm always joined by this man next to me. I've got my wonderful co-host, Matty Hayes, runs a superb YouTube channel. Matt, loves to have you back on Last Word on Spurs. How are you? I'm absolutely fantastic, Ricky. As, as I always say, it's, a, it's an absolute pleasure to, to be on the show here with you. And I, I, need to, I need to figure out what magical scheduling app you use because there's no better man to, to have on as, as a guest with the last 24 hours in the, in the, in the world of Spurs news. So I'm really looking forward to, to the chat with Ben as well. Yeah. Now, some people would think this is deliberately time, but it actually quite isn't. We reached out to Ben about a couple of months ago and uh, Ben sent shockwaves amongst the Spurs fan base last night with Again, a really, really good report in relation to potential investment in Tottenham. We're going to get into that and even more. So delighted to welcome sports broadcaster, journalist Ben Jacobs back on Last Word on Spurs. Ben, absolute pleasure having you back on. How are you firstly? Great to be here. Happy New Year to you both and to everybody listening. And you might say it wasn't intentional, but obviously I knew this appearance was coming. So I held my exclusive for a week just to time it so we could talk about it because that's how nice a guy I am. (laughs) Ben, the the makeup of the man. There you go. Look at what people are doing for last one on Spurs. Absolutely superb. Ben, loves to be back on. It's been a pleasure, like I say, having you on with us previously. I think even Matt quoted saying that the encyclopedic knowledge of you on that last show was just 
absolutely mesmerising. I know you got a lot of love from our viewers and listeners the last time you was on Last Word on Spurs. So a real, real pleasure to have you back on with us. Uh, ben, for any maybe new viewers, new listeners that haven't heard you or seen you before on Last Word on Spurs, do you just want to give them a bit of a background as to what you cover as a journalist in your role? Happy to. So I'm working for CBS. We're the Champions League rights holder and also have the Serie A rights across America. And prior to that, I was at BN Sports and I've also worked for the BBC. And really, my focus is on business meet sports. So I've got high expertise on takeovers, particularly during my time at BN when I was out in the Middle East and North Africa, and there were a range of both takeovers and sponsorship deals in that area. So I built a good contact base, which is why I've covered things like the Manchester City takeover and Newcastle's acquisition by the PIF, which dragged on for about 18 months. And now, of course, there's links with Spurs and a group from the Middle East and North Africa, particularly QSI. And then I've done bits of football commentary before. You might have heard me on TalkSport. And in addition to that, I've started over the last three or four windows to move into a bit of transfers as well, which is a completely different kind of area to takeovers because a takeover is very secretive. It's very business orientated. You get a range of groups that would like to talk to the media. And obviously you have rivals who often are competing at the same time for a club and there's a more formal tender process. So you kind of know what's coming and you also know a bit like having a baby, I suppose, that a takeover might take nine months. Whereas with a transfer, you can think you've got everything under control. You can go to bed, you can wake up and somebody else can have come in and stolen that particular player and you can be leading on a narrative and suddenly be behind in the same narrative. So it's very interesting doing both of those disciplines at the same time and I enjoy it and I'm very thankful for the Spurs fans that have reached out and given kind words from my last appearance on this show and always happy to engage on social media as well in the best way possible. Oh, listen, Ben, you're very, very kind. And I say absolute pleasure having you back on Last Word on Spurs. I feel on the back of what was, again, from you announced on Sunday evening, there's only really one place to start. Uh, an exclusive story from yourself, as I said, that sent shockwaves amongst the Spurs fan base. Now, uh, Qatar Sports Investment, QSI, which I'll just call them just for easier note, the owners of PSG, as we understand based on your story, are hoping to secure a minority investment in a Premier League club in 2023. I think CBS Sports couldn't exclusively reveal that case. And I think the chairman there, Nasser El Khalafi, met with Spurs chairman Daniel Levy earlier last week for exploratory talks. Uh, ben, you want to give us a bit of background to that story? I know you've covered it really lengthy in writing, but for anybody that's looking for a bit more clarity on the story, are you happy to give us information on that? Absolutely. So Qatar Sports Investments are, as you rightly say, the owners of PSG and the chairman of QSI and the president of PSG is Nasser Al Khalifi. And he also, of course, runs the European Club Association and Daniel Levy is on that executive board. And therefore, the two men have a strong relationship. And although it might be logical to assume that every time they've met, they will cover a broad array of topics. This last meeting, and it's not the first time over the course of the last two months, was specifically about possible investment, as we understand it at CBS. Now, it's very important to stress that when you invest in a club and there is an openness by those within the club to get a deal done, it takes time. 
And we're currently at the stage of exploratory talks. So we shouldn't be assuming that it will definitely advance. But what we know is that there is an appetite from both parties to discuss minority investment. And that's all it would be from QSI. And once I've kind of outlined the story, we can go into what minority investment entails to be very clear about the possible direction of travel. Now, QSI are not City Football Group. And I think this is a misconception in the sense that City Football Group have got lots of clubs. They're highly ambitious. They're a well-oiled and developed model, whereas QSI have only got PSG and Braga. And contrary to some reports that you may read saying that there is a relationship financially with Upen in Belgium, there isn't at this stage. So QSI are highly ambitious and very well developed in what they do. But that ultimately is about funding sport in a variety of ways to realize a vision within Qatar that extends beyond the World Cup. And part of their remit is to work with government, to work with tourism, and of course, within football, to realize a sports strategy. What they haven't done to date is build a multi-club model to any great degree. And this is now what they're turning their attention to. And I think that it's logical to assume now the World Cup is out the way that QSI want to lead a bit more in football circles rather than use the World Cup to promote tourism or investment. And that was ultimately their primary remit up until 2022. So now what we're going to see is QSI far more so rival something like the City Football Group and potentially the multi-club model that Chelsea are building. And to do that, they need clubs. And although they won't look to buy outright a rival to PSG because there's so many complications there, they will add minority investments in strategic territories. And England and the Premier League is an ambitious and key region to them. And I think that most people think once you've got a primary club in PSG that they would go smaller. But QSI's strategy is not the same as the City Football Group. It is in the sense they want to add clubs and there'll be overlapping regions. But what they need is a return. And that return can come financially or alternatively, it can come through benefits in tourism or ultimately an overall strategy within Qatar to have affiliations with big clubs and big leads. And again, when we delve into minority investment, we can elaborate on this a little bit. So where we're at at the moment is that Daniel Levy has actually been in Qatar recently and held more than one meeting with Nasser Al-Khalafi. Possible investment has been discussed. The understanding at the QSA end from talking to sources is that Levy might be persuaded to sell as much as a 30% stake in the football club, but QSI's strategy will be a little bit lower than that. But what this tells you is that in all likelihood, Daniel Levy is in a formative way speaking to multiple suitors. And this is what we know at the moment, and we wait and see how it develops. Now, for balance, and I think this is why it's taken others perhaps 24 hours to catch up with my exclusive. Tottenham Hotspur deny that any discussions have taken place surrounding equity of the football club. And that's very normal because Daniel Levy and Spurs would be sensible not to reveal who they're in talks with or that there's any plans to sell the club in any capacity, minority or outright. And until... Levy gets to the point where he wants to follow Liverpool and Manchester United and accept 
publicly and reveal that a more formal process is in place to sell a percentage of the club. Of course, Daniel Levy and Spurs are going to keep quiet and deny everything. And that is logical. It is sensible. And you would expect that from any top football club. And what may be happening here is unlike Liverpool and Manchester United, Tottenham may be more informally putting themselves out to market and not using a rain group or a Clifford chance to formally put themselves out for tender. And PSG are doing that at the moment because they'll be selling a minority stake at some point within 2023. So we need to understand that there are two competing narratives here. One is Tottenham, who are, and for balance as journalists, we must report this, denying any of these talks. And then QSI, who have held these talks. And obviously, it's up to those listening to believe who they want to believe. But I've gone to both sides and I have seen indisputable evidence that a meeting took place between Daniel Levy and Nasser Al-Khalifi on possible exploratory and formative minority investment within Spurs. So that's where we stand at the moment. And that is still active. In other words, a meeting hasn't led to a ceasing of talks. And in addition to that, contrary to some reports you may read, even though it's 100% true, QSI are looking at options in the Premier League. And obviously, they're not only and exclusively going to go with Spurs in terms of trying to get something done because we're too early in the process. There have been no talks to date with Liverpool or Manchester United, which is interesting because both of those clubs are actively and publicly available on the market. So that's worth bearing in mind too. And then in addition to that, the fact that QSI have initiated something with Spurs and Daniel Levy is open to that engagement and as I understand it, quite excited by it as well to see if it leads anywhere. This also tells us that there's nothing Qatari related in Liverpool or Manchester United away from Spurs because QSI are aware of everything. And anyone, for example, that wasn't QSI but had a Qatari link that wanted to buy either Liverpool or Manchester United would effectively have to get the blessing of QSI because of how business operates out there. So that's important to understand as well. So that's the overview of where I've said very openly, including in the original exclusive, that Spurs are denying any conversations around equity. But even with that, we are 100% confident in our reporting that actually not just one meeting, but multiple meetings have taken place on this subject of possible investment. Well, honestly, firstly, Ben, thank you so much for that great level of detail there. Uh, we really appreciate the honesty and the depth you've got into there. I think one of the questions that I think people would be keen to understand, um, that word minority, sometimes you do feel that maybe even overlooked by many. And obviously minority means not a majority. It means obviously a, a smaller percentage than what it would be in terms of a huge amount. You referenced the case there of a 30% potentially up to that particular amount. I just wonder, Ben, based on if it was a 30%, hypothetically, that doesn't mean you're going to see a massive change in turn of the staff there currently on the board. Is it a case where maybe it would be Daniel Levy would, re- Daniel Levy would remain as the chairman, but there would be this investment from the Qataris, if you see what line I'm trying to go down? 
Well, I think it's so early we'd be speculating and that would be irresponsible journalism to be talking about Daniel Levy's role or any staff changes. And it's also important to note that although sources have referenced this 30% number, that is in relation to Daniel Levy, which might be a clue to suggest that minority investment would be a route that he might prefer. Whereas if we specifically are talking about QSI and Tottenham Hotspur, then the QSI mentality is probably on a big club much smaller than 30%. So when we are broadly talking about minority investment, we are specifically referencing a share percentage. In other words, QSI, if anything comes of this, would not be the majority owner. And then from there, it's all about the negotiation. How hands-on would they be? How active would they be? And so on. But let's not forget that with the valuation of Spurs, which can be yardsticked against the Chelsea sale, which can be yardsticked against potentially a Liverpool or a Manchester United sale, is going to cost QSI probably a billion plus, but certainly a huge amount of money, even for a small stake. And the logic of minority investment for QSI would be very similar to Braga, where they've got 23%. And if you look since QSI invested in Braga at the increase in the share price, they've already got a return. And their very involvement in that football club has helped it become much healthier. And it would be exactly the same here, that QSI are not looking to do what Chelsea are doing, which is affiliate themselves with other global clubs and then benefit from a recruitment point of view and brand growth. And they're not looking to do what Manchester City have done necessarily, which is buy a higher volume of clubs and create pathways back to Manchester City. This is QSI, not PSG. That's really important to stress because PSG will function in its own entity and will have its own minority investor, most likely from America, in the first or second quarter of 2023. And it is about a strategic partner for PSG. But then if, and it is an if, I have to keep stressing that, anything comes of these formative talks, then it would be about QSI benefiting, not PSG, and not necessarily even a multi-club group in the football or pathways or recruitment sense. It's more about QSI gaining a return off the Spurs brand and helping to strengthen that brand by putting capital in, which obviously would allow Daniel Levy and the controlling owner of the football club to spend more, to invest more and to grow the brand and in all likelihood keep up with some of Tottenham's rivals. Because even though Tottenham fans and myself included, away from being a fan, were not in favour of the European Super League, from Daniel Levy's point of view, it was a massive joining fee and in all likelihood, huge TV rights money that could stabilise the club. And now we're moving out of the pandemic, hopefully, but clubs have been hit hard by that. And the financial fair play rules are changing as well. And the COVID leeway will come off the books, allowing clubs no longer to be able to offset a lot of their losses down to COVID. So Tottenham, however healthy, however well run financially in the past, still are in a position where as the market inflates, as big money signings that perhaps were only 50, 60, 70 million a few seasons ago are suddenly 100 million for your Jude Bellingham's, 120 million for your Enzo Fernandez's, and ultimately more investment is needed into the infrastructure of a football club. So this 
from QSI's perspective is strategic investment, not necessarily hands-on investment. And we don't know from Tottenham's point of view. And I know that as a journalist, when we're asked questions, people expect a straight answer. They expect all the detail. And if I have the detail, I provide it. But sometimes as a journalist, you have to be very honest and upfront and say, we just don't know yet. It's too early in the process. And as I said right at the start, it would be hugely irresponsible, especially as the person that broke the story, to say, I know what Daniel Levy wants to do, or I know about any huge upheaval behind the scenes, or I know about board changes and plans, or I know about Spurs' strategy, if and it isn't if they get investment in. And once again, Tottenham deny any of these meetings, which tells you it's pretty early stages. So I think that if we were talking more generally about minority investment and other clubs where we have hindsight and we can see the change, what we know is that when a minority investment owner comes in, they usually don't try and rock the boat. They usually don't have that much say over the day-to-day running of a football club. And often it is about financial investment that gives them a return and allows them potentially to play off the brand without really creating too much upheaval. And I think at Liverpool, if FSG bring on board a minority investment, it will be business as usual. It's completely different if it's a higher percentage or if they become the majority or outright owner. And there can be a try before you buy element whereby you ask for a minority stake. And if it goes well over time and there's a willingness from the current majority owner to sell at that point, you then ask whether you can almost have a first refusal because that's the stability and sustainability of the football club to have someone who was majority uh, minority, I should say, become majority. But because of the PSG aspect, it would be very difficult, if not impossible, for QSI to majority own Tottenham Hotspur and PSG. So then we speculate over whether they would ditch PSG somehow and move on to Spurs or vice versa. They would never consider Spurs because they've got PSG. And like I say, we're purely speculating, which is disrespectful to Tottenham. It's disrespectful to QSI, but it is minority investment that they are looking at within the Premier League. And my understanding very clearly and firmly on the PSG side is that there is a firm and aggressive commitment to PSG. And that would be a clue to suggest that anything QSI were to hypothetically do in the Premier League would remain minority and perhaps at a much lower percentage than some people are speculating. Thanks again, Ben, for the, the, the incredible detail within that. Um, I, to be honest, I, I thought I understood the, the minority side of it uh, more than I did, having listened to, um, to to what you shared with us there. And there's some people I, I was speaking to on Twitter earlier today who I think were kind of mixing up minority investment with minor investment. And I think it's fair to say that if anything were to, to come to fruition with this, that it would, it's very unlikely that it, that it would be minor, um, but minorities in the uh, lower share of the club. Um, there's a few people there that have mentioned it uh, in the live chat, and I was going to ask you about um, naming rights with the stadium because it's something that's been on, on the lips of many Tottenham fans and many journalists covering the club in the last uh, couple of years, especially since uh, Todd Klein came into the club as the uh, chief commercial officer, someone who previously uh, put together a very similar deal for uh, Miami Dolphins over in, in the United States. Whether I'm not sure if you have information on this as well, but even if with, with your own experience of, of business and football, do you think it makes sense maybe that the naming rights hasn't happened for Tottenham yet because they could have potentially been looking for some sort of investment like uh, the talks are with, with QSI now? Or do you think it's maybe something that could just go hand in hand if, if this does work out? Well, the first thing to say on the naming 
writes is that it was reportedly or allegedly close in October, November, December, and now January. So that already tells you that there is nothing yet ready for announcement or 100% formally in place. And I can also tell you that categorically nothing between QSI and Tottenham Hotspur has touched upon the naming rights for the stadium either. So it is plausible and possible that a minority investor of any kind at Tottenham Hotspur might influence the path that the naming rights takes. And the reason for that is because even if a group were not directly responsible or involved in a naming rights, perhaps that group is from a region that because of their investment, it then attracts somebody else separately to come in and discuss the naming rights. And all kinds of organizations like Google and Amazon have been touted probably since the stadium opened. So I think where we're at with the naming of the stadium is just quite secret at the moment and could be influenced in the early part of the year by somebody new coming to the table. But there's always really been a feeling on this that anything naming rights has predated anything regarding minority investment, simply because Daniel Levy hasn't necessarily crystallised what he wants to do with the football club. So then do you delay progressing or formalising a naming rights deal because you want to see where the investment of the club goes first? And ultimately, if minority investment comes in or any form of investment, what it does is it values the club. And that can actually be quite important when you're negotiating other aspects because you've actually got a cold, hard valuation. So that's quite important. Again, it would only be speculating to say that they go hand in hand in any way or that Spurs want a concrete valuation because they can then offset that against trying to get the best possible deal or a formal deal over the line for the naming rights. So I think that we have to be very careful with these commercial deals because there's a huge amount of both historical and active interest in this area. And ultimately, Tottenham are being quite secretive on it. So I wouldn't dare to presume what the stadium is going to be called or what direction that's going to go in or even what time scale. Because if you were a naming rights partner, you don't necessarily have an urgency to get it done midway through a season either. Some would say it makes no difference because the stadium's a stadium and as soon as you name it officially, you're able to then glean from that any form of commercial benefit. But others would say that if you wait a little bit longer, you can have more of a launch and a build up around it. And does it go a little bit flat if it's suddenly announced midway through a season? And again, this is just analysis quite broadly within the market. I wouldn't dare to speculate where that is. But what I can say from speaking to sources definitively is that there's no direct link between QSI and any meetings with Daniel Levy relating to the naming of the stadium. Again, Ben, really, really appreciate the clarity on that. I think just just one thing, I don't know if you're in a position to answer this, because again, it might go into a different area. So if you can't answer it, we totally understand that. Martin has sent in a question to us and has asked, again, we can maybe take KSI out of this, but hypothetically, having a minority stake with a minority percentage, does that mean there isn't any real say in the running of the club? Some that are struggling to understand that appeal, are you able to give any kind of 
information onto that point? Well, I mean, you have a say, of course, and the role in a minority stake simply depends upon any future talks between the club and the minority investor as to exactly how hands-on they can be. So it's really important to define minority investment. And when you first come to the table, which is now, you're really just talking about what's the club worth and therefore how much do you have to pay to get a stake? And is there an openness to surrender a certain percentage? And does the percentage of those coming to the table match the percentage that any club is willing to surrender? And then once you've got the minority stake, you would assume a position on the board and it would be determined as the minority owner how many people would get a position on the board. And then, of course, by being on the board, you would get a say. So it's not strictly true to say you would just buy and let the club run as is. But obviously, as the minority owner, you don't have the majority. And therefore, if Daniel Levy chooses to continue to run the club as is, the minority investor, if they wanted to be vocal and hands-on, would only have some say and not any kind of autonomy or all say. So that's the first thing to say. But... There's a counterpoint to that, which is look at Chelsea. Their minority owner is Todd Bowley, but he holds operational control at the football club. Why? Because the majority owner, Clear Lake Capital at Chelsea, is prepared to surrender that operational control to him. And that means that Bowley is effectively the minority owner, but with de facto majority control, along with Berdag Agbali, who represents Clear Lake Capital and the majority owner. So it's about the dynamic. And the beauty when you're the incumbent is you can define the dynamic. So if Daniel Levy is willing to sell, but only to a party that's going to let him run the football club as is, then that is ultimately his right. And if Daniel Levy wants to step back in any way or is prepared for some kind of change behind the scenes, then he can, again, speak to a group that has more of an appetite for that. But we are talking generally and hypothetically, which, as I said before, can be a little bit disrespectful to Tottenham and Daniel Levy because we're far, far too early in the process to be looking at which one of these options, if any, are going to materialise and be concrete, which is why Spurs, quite rightly, are simply denying it at the moment because they don't want to fuel it. Unfortunately for any football club, if a journalist gets an exclusive, will fuel it the other way. But this is not disingenuous. There is something brewing here, but we can't establish the direction of travel until more talks have been held. And the fact that it is concrete is because we know now categorically that QSI do want to invest in a Premier League club. So therefore, their talks with Tottenham hold more weight. And the fact that Tottenham are denying those talks in its own perverse way holds weight because you don't deny them unless you're trying to keep them secret and you don't try and keep them secret unless you think they might be heading in a certain direction, but very, very early and formative stages. So then coming back to the question, if we take it to the opposite extreme of, is there any benefit, perhaps not on a football side on a day-to-day other than affiliating themselves with Tottenham's brand and then QSI with any club they invest in will look to develop that brand in the Middle East and North Africa And on top of that, hope to commercialize that brand, which means that perhaps Tottenham will be more appealing to partners from the Middle East and North Africa. We've certainly seen that 
In the case of Newcastle United, they very quickly got an arm sponsor called Noor, who are the Amazon equivalent in the Middle East and North Africa. And then, of course, on top of that, there's the ability for QSI to tick other goals, such as Qatar tourism through Tottenham Hotspur. And on top of that, potentially bringing Tottenham out to the Middle East and North Africa. And fans will listen to this and, as ever, take small amounts and think, yikes, we're going to end up in Qatar playing. We're going to have an academy in Qatar. We're going to be going over there and doing deals with a load of Qatari companies. And none of that is necessarily true. And it's extraordinarily premature. But what I'm trying to do is outline the benefit to QSI. And again, key point, this is not PSG. This is QSI. QSI's fundamental goal is to grow sport in Qatar as part of a Vision 2030, to create jobs through sport in Qatar, to promote a healthier lifestyle in Qatar, to bring sports events to Qatar, to bring teams to Qatar. So in the same way that Leeds United have got a partnership with Aspire, which is an extremely high-end science facility and players go over there to get treated for injuries and clubs go over there and they train at the Aspire facility and a number of countries were using it during the World Cup as well. That might be the kind of thing. So it might end up being QSI, see the benefit in sending Spurs players to the Aspire Academy. Spurs want to go over there because players are getting the most advanced treatment possible because they've spent so much money and time in investing in that sector, sports science. So it becomes win-win. And then the minority investor develop ties. They get a little bit of promotion they get an aspect potentially of tourism. And at the same time, the football club pretty runs as is. So these are the type of discussions that can take place. And it can genuinely be multiple extremes. They could stick someone on the board that's aggressive and hands-on. They could start as a minority owner with a long-term view, whether they admit it or not, to buy more shares over time. Or they could sit back and just get an investment because immediately by putting money into Spurs and having a stake, they'll probably see a spike and a return. And that's the case with Braga. As I said before, look at the Braga price online from the date QSI came in with a 23% stake to now, and there's immediately a return on the share price. So these are the different areas, but all you can really do at this stage, genuinely, and I know it's not what many fans want to hear because they want a black and white answer. They want a yes or no. They don't want this rambling insight into the business of it. But when you do responsible journalism, you look at the scenarios and you analyze the direction of travel. And as much as I would like my exclusive to be Tottenham are definitely doing this and it, this is how it's going to work and this is the structure and here's what's going to happen to Daniel Levy. It's so early in any possible process to go down that line that now we know it's happening we can only try and provide the insight into what could happen. And there's a variety of different options, as I've just outlined. Ben, it's, <laughs> I'll tell you, it's wonderful stuff having you back on last one on Spurs. We have really, really missed you. I'm going to correct one thing from my end before I do get absolutely taken apart. I did reference QSI as KSI. And so just to save everybody, we are not getting the YouTuber investor as far as we're aware <laughs> right now. That probably is the result of me having, like I say, a beautiful baby that's under two that's keeping me up a lot during the evenings and one on the way. People think, what are you doing? What's that going to happen? Last one, I suppose, will continue. <laughs> no matter what happens, we'll be bringing Ben back for sure. But what we are going to do is, look, fascinating stuff there from Ben. We are going to go for our first break of the show. 
for our listeners on audio. For our watching audience here. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We've got a good 800, 900 of you plus watching us across all of our platforms. We are battling live football. So again, kudos <laughs> to Matty, kudos to the wonderful Ben Jacobs here, who gives us a real insight into Tottenham Hotspur and a potential investment. But we're not going to stop there. We've got so much more coming your way. Antonio Conte's future, potential incomings and outgoings. I did say to Ben before the show, we're going to aim for an hour. Ben, if it's okay with you, we might go slightly beyond that. We don't want to take you away too long for your evening, but we'll try and wrap up as early as we can but does that sound okay to you sounds good as long as i'm clear by about 9 20 then my dog who's by my feet will not be clawing at those feet to go out and go to the bathroom <laughs> for ben's dog we have to end by 9 20 i'm gonna hand over to matty to kickstart the second part of this superb last one on spurs matt over to you yeah look i think one thing that probably does go hand in hand to some extent with any any potential investment in tottenham and any money being spent on transfers which is of course the the main question in the live chat is the future of antonio conte which as part of his um his playbook during his time at tottenham he himself has cast a bit of doubt over that with his comments in the last month or so um on the contrary christian Cellini, the uh, assistant manager who took the press conference ahead of that game against portsmouth downplayed concerns about the future of the duo saying that they could see themselves potentially at tottenham for a long time now look with Conte, his deal is set to expire in the summer as it uh was uh to some extent last year as well um now the january window open Tottenham do have the chance to to add some some firepower to that squad and, and gain a little bit of momentum like we did last year with the signings of Rodrigo Bentoncourt and Dejan Kulusevski. Uh, Kante himself said back in October, I think the club understand very well the importance of bringing in important players, good players in January. I'm not the person who has to explain this to my club. Then last week he said that uh, signing young players players with not big salaries. We have to sign players that they can stay in our vision, in the vision of the club. So perhaps changing his tune there a little bit, which some fans may see, uh, see as something of a concession to the, the 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 limits that are on him as Tottenham manager in the transfer market. With, with Spurs currently in fifth place, been uh, two points behind Manchester United. On a personal front, do you think, do you expect Antonio Conte to remain at the club beyond uh, this current season? Well, I think it's a process, isn't it? And as I've said many times, Tottenham are very calm about Antonio Conte's future because they believe that he's fully invested in the project. But by the same token, what is the project? And regardless of actual football improvements and results and being behind in 10 straight games and wobbling a little bit in the Champions League, the main priority, however they get there, whether it's ugly, whether it's inconsistent, whether it's worrying, they've got to finish in the top four because back-to-back seasons in the top four 
is the project. And I've said many times that trying to define any football project is difficult. But for Tottenham, it's a little bit easier because what they want to be is a near automatic Champions League qualifier over a string of seasons. And then from a budgetary point of view, you start to plan for that. And even though Chelsea at the moment are 10th in the table, they've been very good at that historically. So there's the whole debate around challenging for the Premier League and titles. And yes, that's one thing and that's the glory. But right now, from Tottenham's point of view, they would probably prefer, if you offered it to them, to just have three or four or five seasons where they were comfortably in the Champions League, even if that was in third, over making a charge for the Premier League one season and then being fifth the next season, winning the Premier League one season, being fifth the next season, because it's so much harder strategically to plan as a club under those circumstances. Because remember, when you think about your spend, when you window plan for long-term targets, when you try and get buy-in for your manager or a player like Harry Kane to sign a new deal, it's all about that consistency. And it's much better from Tottenham's point of view at the moment to have that reputation of building and being comfortably a top four side, which is a very difficult thing to achieve. But as I said before, Chelsea kind of made a habit in recent seasons. Yet they won 21 trophies under Roman Abramovich. But what they've done very well, even if they've not been up there with Liverpool and Manchester City, of always being that team that you feel will be third at worst. It's not the case now, but it has been over seasons gone by. And they can plan accordingly. And that's the direction of travel for Tottenham as well. So if Antonio Conte feels like, one, that's going to happen, and two, he continues to be given freedom and autonomy in the market... And every time Spurs qualify for a Champions League, the budget allows him to move freely in the market. Then he can have his cake and eat it. And what you said about is it young players or is it established players is not strictly true. It's both because you're always looking to invest in youth and you're always looking to window plan ahead and go for marquee signings. And what Antonio Conte did in the last window was add depth and not everyone he signed went straight into the first team. But he was also able to take a swing of his own. And I think he was given more freedom last summer than any previous Spurs manager I can remember anyway under Daniel Levy, which is important because would Levy have sanctioned uh, signing like Perisic in the past? Perhaps not because of the age in particular, but Conte wanted him, got him, and ultimately therefore has a little bit more control in the market. So for Antonio Conte to stay, he wants to see progression. He wants to obviously be backed in the market and will need, if it's over multiple seasons, Champions League football to do that. And on top of that, wants that autonomy to almost bend the rules at times and say, if it isn't this age or profile, if it's a bit more than we want to pay, he can justify it and he can get Daniel Levy to dig a little bit deeper and get the deal done. And let's see, for example, with Pedro Porro, if they have to trigger the release clause, whether he can win that battle. So I think that, as I understand it, talking to sources at Spurs, but also close to Antonio Conte, there's not really this desire to go back to Juventus, for example. And why would there be? Because they're under investigation for financial malpractice. They've picked up in Serie A a little bit, but I still don't think you can say Champions League football is guaranteed. But it's about... Tottenham and Conte getting to the right stage of the season to actually assess if they're the right fit. Because if Conte wants to stay, but Tottenham fall down the table, then 
do Tottenham want him to stay? And vice versa, if Conte doesn't see enough commitment, which is why I think this window is going to be very key to his thinking, why is he going to rush into signing? And that's really the point here. It's not that Antonio Conte doesn't want to sign, and it's not that Tottenham don't want him to sign. It's the fact that it's not beneficial to either party to do it now, because Antonio Conte is thinking, can I use the window as a test in order to see how backed I am? And Tottenham are thinking we can leave it a little bit longer because we're not even halfway through the season due to the World Cup. And then you start looking at a very key run of fixtures that overlap with the window and obviously into the February period in the Champions League. And why would Tottenham or Conte commit until there's more context behind the direction of travel? Because it's a North London derby on Sunday. It's a way then at Manchester City. It's then another tough London derby away at Fulham. It's then Manchester City again. That's a horrible run of fixtures. And then you go to my team, Leicester, by the way, away. So I say this flippantly, but not going to take any points from that game. And then Milan in the Champions League. So I think that by the time we get to February the 14th and away at Milan on Valentine's Day, we'll have a much greater sense of whether Conte is still fully in love with Spurs. He's fully invested in Spurs and fully invested in the project. But imagine if he becomes disappointed with this transfer window and then flash forwards and it doesn't go to plan in the Champions League. He starts to feel like he doesn't have the same support as perhaps he was hoping for and was illustrated in the summer. So I know that sounds like I'm sitting on the fence, but this again is football and the season has to move and internally the relationship has to develop. And there'll be lots of mini battles, I sense, starting in this window to get Conte to feel like he still has that same level of support. And it will ultimately just come down to Spurs qualify for the Champions League again. So don't be surprised if a bit of time ticks away on this. That doesn't mean panic, hence the calmness that I started by describing. But what it means is that both manager and club are getting a bit more context before anything is potentially signed. And I think it will be exactly the same with Harry Kane. I, again, I, I'm, I'm in awe of the, the detail and, and the insight that we're getting here, Ben. Thank you very, very much for that. Um, uh, something that, of course, will will play into into all of the, the factors that you just mentioned above is is how Tottenham strengthen their their squad in the in the in the current January transfer window that we're in. 9th of January, not a lot of deals done yet, but definitely none for Spurs. Um, one player that I want to talk about is one that you also tweeted about earlier today, and that is Leandro Trossard of Brighton. Um, you tweeted that he has been offered to Spurs amongst uh, a number of other uh, clubs up towards the, the higher end of the Premier League table, and that Spurs are genuinely interested in the player. That was echoed by a number of other journalists, um, again, in the in the rumour mill today. Um, I suppose a, a bit of a two-part question. Is, is is the attacking area a position that you can you can see Tottenham prioritising um, in this window. And I know you said nothing is imminent with Leandro Trossard, but do you, do you think that's one that Tottenham really do want to develop in the next uh, three or so weeks? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's careless to use the word imminent, I suppose, during the January transfer window because there's only a matter of weeks left. But what I mean by that is nothing is advanced at the moment between club and player or club and club. So, of course, things can change very quickly. So the first thing to say with Trossard is that he wants to move away no specific preference and his agent has been working extremely hard to fuel interest. He went to Tottenham, he went to Chelsea, he went to Liverpool, he went to Manchester United and he went to Newcastle United. And Liverpool and Manchester United dismissed it and even as I understand it, got a little bit irritated by how much on the agent side was being leaked about interest in his client. 
Whereas with Tottenham, they actually didn't engage originally, but now there's a feeling that they might advance their interest, which tells you to your question that they would like a few more goals and Trossard could be available in January at a bargain. Brighton are also very relaxed about the situation. I spoke to their CEO, Paul Barber, exclusively last week. You can see that on the CBS Sports website. And Brighton, and this is key as well, don't usually like to do that much January business, incomings or outgoings. They want to keep their squad together. They're having a great season. They could even finish above Graham Potter's Chelsea and improve on their ninth place finish last campaign. But obviously the Trossard situation is a bit different because of his contract and that might leave them open to accepting an offer in January. And he's got seven Premier League goals in 16 games, so is ultimately a form player. He missed the game against Middlesbrough, but it wasn't transfer related. At least that's not the official line that Brighton are giving. And De Zerbi was quite in-depth with the calf issue that kept him out of that game. So there's no reason to think that that's disingenuous. And therefore, we have to wait and see how this progresses. I don't anticipate that Chelsea are going to creep into the equation. And we know that Trossard would like to leave. So it will all come down, I think, to movement in the market and whether Spurs see any value here. It's, again, not necessarily a Daniel Levy-style signing, which is an odd thing to say about a 28-year-old, and he's only just 28. But ultimately, Tottenham don't tend to do these kind of deals where they know a contract is expiring. Why would they pay money up front unless there was a huge urgency? There isn't a huge urgency for goals. Actually, Tottenham's problem is defensive. They need to stop giving away leads and shore things up. They need to work out whether there's going to be any outgoings. And then I still think that the long-term plan to replace Hugo Lloris and bringing on board a fullback as well are going to be priorities. So there's plenty of goals within this team. So if you ask Daniel Levy, does he want a winger or a forward? Not necessarily, but there may be a window of opportunism to get Trossard at a bargain, to add a bit more depth. And because of the league position and because of the inconsistent form, Trossard could be the kind of player that Spurs choose to advance on. So it's certainly one to watch over the coming weeks. I would say that still, with no club-to-club talks, we should be wary because the agent is prone to fueling things that are a little bit premature. But talking to Spurs sources, he is one name on the radar, which again is a clue that from Antonio Conte's perspective, he might want a few more goals. He might want a player with proven Premier League experience that he can just drop straight in. So often we get excited by a younger player or someone not from the Premier League, but there's a lot to be said by going for a sort of less sexy style signing and Manchester United and Weghorst is one example of that. It's not going to set the fan base alight, standing outside when he arrives and asking for autographs in their hundreds or thousands, but sometimes you have to be short-termist. And the beauty of Trossard, if a club was to sign him, is that if the form continues, you get that immediate goals return. And at the same time, you get a player that you can drop straight into Premier League football. So it would make a lot of sense, much like Wilfred Zaha, even though he's highly unlikely to leave mid-season and has kind of given Crystal Palace his word. It's that same category, slightly older player, lot of Premier League experience, good form. And even though, as I said before, Tottenham really need to start keeping clean sheets if they're to qualify for Champions League football. I'm very confident in Tottenham scoring goals with what they've got. Just might be a name that if Antonio Conte goes to Daniel Levy, and it is an if, and says... 
you would probably normally only sign this player because of his age and his contract situation in the summer. But what about now? If the fee proves reasonable with Brighton, maybe Tottenham can advance on it. So there's really a growing feeling here that Tottenham might enter the race. But once again, at the time we're recording this, there's nothing contrary to reports yet. It can change quickly, but yet that entails a tangible verbal bid in the club-to-club sense. Appreciate that, Ben. I mean, I think Matty, we've said it offline, I think he's a player that does come in and instantly improve the options that we've got at the moment. I think, you know, he's a goal scorer. Uh, maybe some would argue that he's not a prolific goal scorer, but what he does bring, as Ben mentioned, and I think you use reference as well, Matty, is a Premier League proven. And that's pretty what you'd argue Spurs do need mm-hmm. as we enter the business stage of the season, right, Matt? Yeah, absolutely. And it, needing someone who, who has that experience in the Premier League is, is never more true than it is in a January window, especially when you're looking at the, the congestion in the latter half of the season after the, the, the World Cup in December. So I, I think it's it's a very clever route for, for Spurs to go down and just adds a bit of options and, and a bit of competition out on that left-hand side for uh, for Youngman's son as well. Um, moving a bit further back the pitch, Ben, uh, you mentioned defence and the signing might not be with his his defensive acumen at the at the top of, of the priorities, but Pedro Paro um, is a name that's been been rumbling for for Spurs for a number of weeks now. He's understood to be top of the list for uh, our new right back after his brilliant performances against us in the Champions League. Um, the player is reportedly keen on the move, but it is understood that it will be a, a fairly difficult one to happen. And Sporting Lisbon, with the with the the cars very much in their hands, are believed to be holding out for the forty five million euro release clause or thirty nine million pounds. Um, there, there seems to be a bit of doubt on, on Conte's behalf about the, the physical stature of Pedro Pauri standing just five foot seven. I saw someone point out on a Twitter a while ago, it's actually smaller than Brian Hill. Um, but is, is it something that you've heard uh, with Pedro Pauri being a, a key target for Spurs uh, this, um, this January? Yeah, a priority target, but as you've neatly outlined, the release clause is the issue. And at the moment, there's no real wiggle room. Sporting are saying that it's 45 million euros, which is about 36 million pounds. And we wait and see whether Tottenham are prepared to trigger that. We know that Antonio Conte is very keen to upgrade his options at right wing back. And the thing to understand about Pedro Porro is that he's relatively versatile. He can play as a wing back or alternatively into midfield. He loves to get forwards. There's a few areas of development in the defensive sense. He doesn't go up for many aerial duels. He can over-dribble at times and he can get caught out of position, but these are normal things and the player will develop and Tottenham have seen firsthand exactly what he can do. There's a hunger, energy, intelligence and vision and this is exactly what Antonio Conte wants and I think there's very much a feeling that he can be Premier League ready as well. And I also understand, by the way, when Sporting first brought him over from Manchester City a couple of years back, there was a real split within the Manchester City recruitment department about whether they should sanction a permanent deal, which was only last summer for 8.5 million. And I think now, in hindsight, Manchester City might feel like they made the wrong decision there and there's no buyback at their end either. So it does look like it's pay the release clause or nothing. What you can do as well is you can offer the monetary amount of the release clause or slightly above it. 
and try and negotiate more preferable terms. But if you trigger the release clause, you're not just paying the 45 million, but you're also giving sporting the payment terms that they want, which tends to be in almost every case a lump sum as well. So Tottenham would therefore have to find the cash flow to do that. Another just aside, by the way, because I often get asked this and it might be in the chat, is financial fair play is not related to the fee. So if Tottenham have got any monetary concerns, if they were to pay a release clause in a lump sum, that doesn't affect financial fair play. Financial fair play is accounted as far as the books are concerned, based on the length of the contract. So whether you pay it in one instalment or 100 instalments, you're dividing the fee by the length of contract for accounting purposes. So that's not a concern, but it's just whether or not they see any value in a 45 million release clause, even though they rate the player when he was only 8.5 million euros last summer. So that is a great bit of business for sporting. So at the moment, intermediaries are heavily involved in this one and initial conversations have taken place and Tottenham are trying to understand whether this public stance of release clause only is genuine or not and if it is they'll have to determine whether they want to trigger the clause and I think that the other thing to watch and I know we're going to hear this a lot and sometimes it's to be taken with a pinch of salt but a if we can call it this hijack from Chelsea is very possible. And whereas perhaps Tottenham are 50-50 on whether it's worth paying the release clause, I think Chelsea might be a bit more bullish because they're looking for big, big movement. Jawa Felix, there is a verbal agreement and then they know Chelsea that they need to think about the right back or wing back situation, partly due to volume of injuries and partly because Cesar Aspilicueta is looking a bit exposed at right back at the moment. And also because Graham Potter is toying with a range of different tactics at the moment to try and work out what's best. And Chelsea don't have that identity yet. And Pedro Porro fits into a lot of different systems in a back three where he can play on the right hand side, not in the back three, but as part of that formation. But he can also play in lots of different tactical formations too and clearly Antonio Conte sees that value so you may remember last time when we were talking about Zignolo there was also that same feeling from Antonio Conte that if he was signed he could play as an inverted fullback he could play in a deeper position or he could play out wide and even be given the freedom to cut inside and I think that Pedro Porro has that high ceiling of tactical development so it's actually uh, perversely because we're saying that Spurs need to strengthen and why do they need to strengthen? Because they're conceding too many goals. But if you look at Pedro Porro's profile at the moment, he's got incredible attacking potential and numbers and the area for development is defensively. So I would be intrigued if he was dropped into a Tottenham side as to whether Antonio Conte sticks or twists with him. Is he there to add more dynamism going forwards or is he going to be reined in and asked to defend a bit more. And if he is, he might be exposed in the Premier League. So that's a consideration for Tottenham as well, if they were to trigger the release clause and pay that kind of fee. So there's real substance to this one. It's fair to say, strategically, high priority target. Tottenham want Pedro Porro. There's no denying it. But are they going to do a deal on the terms that are currently being offered? And that's where the intermediaries come in to try and understand whether there's one option, release clause or nothing, or whether there's some kind of leeway. But Tottenham are going to have to be fast here. One, because time is running out in the window, even though we're only a week and a half in. And two, because 
there are other suitors circling. And if Tottenham don't pay the release clause, you might well find that another club does. Ben, thank you so much for that update. I am conscious that your dog is awaiting a walk at 20 past. So we are just going to be mindful of that. Ben, if I can ask you, uh, probably a two-parter. Um, we have seen links to, uh, with regards to Marcus Edwards also being a potential player that Spurs would like including in the deal. Is that something you can rule out potentially? Or is there an interest there from Tottenham to re-sign Marcus Edwards? Well, we know that Tottenham like Marcus Edwards. It's as simple as that. And as you say, it would be a re-signing, although when he was at Tottenham between 2016 and 2019, he only made one appearance in all competitions and that was in the League Cup. So he's never played for Tottenham in the Premier League. But of course, back then he was still pretty young and now he's 24 years of age and he's doing very well for sporting in the Primera League in 14 games. He scored five goals and nine in all competitions, whereas last season he played 15 games and only scored three goals, I think it was off the top of my head. So not only does Edwards have a history with Spurs, so they know a lot more about him, which is very important when you think about not just the footballer, but the human being. But there's that ability, again, to play as an attacking midfielder and a winger as well. So there's substance in that sense. But my understanding is that there won't necessarily be any kind of link here between Edwards and Porro. So Porro is going to be released clause only. And unfortunately, from Tottenham's point of view, were they to get Pedro Porro, then you have a scenario suddenly where Sporting can just say, we'll do what we want now. We've got our money. We've got freedom to move in the market. Why should we give you two? So I certainly wouldn't paint it as either or, because I'm sure from Tottenham's perspective, if they could get two deals done at good value, then they would look to move. But I think it's going to be very difficult to get both in the same window, especially a January window. And Tottenham's priority is Pedro Porro. Okay. Ben, I'm going to try and accelerate the speed from my end. We're going to try and get as much of that insupply, <laughs> the, need, the, or the knowledge from you as possible. Um, we talk about Porro, which we'd imagine if Porro was to come in, Spurs would have to address their own right-back situation. Where at the moment, we've got Emerson Royale, Matt Doherty, and Jed Spence currently on that right-hand side of that defence. Any news you've heard about any of those potential exits at all this January? Emerson Royal, Matt Doggerty, Jed Spence, as far as you're Well, I think with Emerson, it's a strange one, isn't it? Because Spurs fans and possibly some within Tottenham are maybe a bit unhappy with the attacking output aspect and feeling that others deserve or have deserved historically more minutes. And there are... Some links that have substance with Inter, so we'll have to wait and see on that one. But also, i got to say, Emerson has been horribly and unfairly abused in all this and is a very likeable chap and would love to turn things around and get a more consistent run. So at the moment, nothing much in that one, but plenty of time left in the move the window. And I think that market movement will determine that first and foremost. So if Tottenham brings somebody in, then maybe their stance will change. With Matt Doherty, I think that we have seen a little bit more of what he is capable of. And that is maybe why, especially because he scored against Crystal Palace, Emerson has come in for a bit more stick. So I don't think that there's any danger at this point 
of a Doherty exit. And then Spence is the interesting one because Tottenham have always said that they've got no desire to let him go. And regardless of some feeling he should get more game time and others perhaps in the fan base saying surplus to requirements, I think that Tottenham have been very clear that they believe in the long-term ability of Spence to be integral to Tottenham and ultimately giving more minutes and more of a role and more leadership. So we have to wait and see how that one develops. But what I think makes the Spence thing, and it's only my personal opinion, more intriguing is just with Emerson, there's not a great deal of genuine interest at this point. Uh, Perhaps as the window moves, uh, an offer might come in, especially if people realise that Spurs are going to add in that position. Uh, But with Spence, there's always been a massive amount of interest. And I know that at Southampton in particular, unlike when Ralph Hasenhutl was there, Nathan Jones really likes the player. So that might be one to watch. And then Wolves have got a new manager too in Yulin Lopetegui, and he's doing really well. And he rates the player as well. And there's still rumbling those Bayer Leverkusen links as well. So Tottenham are quite dismissive internally of it. They see Spence as part of their plans. But if there's a high volume of interest and there was to be some offers for a loan to get him game time, is their mind going to be changed? I still don't think so, but it's only my personal opinion. All I can do from a reporting point of view is take my personal opinion out of it and tell you that there's three clubs, two from the Premier League in particular, Southampton and Wolves, with at least Spence on the radar, monitoring what Spurs are going to do. And then from the Spurs point of view, they're reiterating that they don't want to get rid of him. And that's where we stand with those three. Um, moving into the, the middle of that back five, Ben, um, Conte earlier in the month seemingly ruled out a move for a centre-back in the January window. Um, Eric Dyer, a player that's been out of form and is, is quickly running out of any leeway with the with the Spurs fan base. Davinson, Sanch- Davinson Sanchez rather has dropped down the pecking order. Jaffa Tanganga, seemingly considered a backup, uh, has been attracting interest mainly from AC Milan in the last 12 to 18 months. Uh, and Clement Longley brought in from on, on loan from Barcelona. No buy option looking like maybe we'll strike a deal for him or potentially look elsewhere for a left centre-back with Conte, as we know, a massive fan of his former player, Alessandro Bastoni. Um, as far as you're aware, is this a club, Is this an area that the club are, are aware needs upgrading? Yes, but possibly in the summer. I mean, if you look at results at the moment, then you could say they have to switch that tactic because it's about keeping clean sheets and as much as an exciting young attack-minded fullback coming in is a quality long-term signing Tottenham just need a bit of experience and now but it isn't only about one individual I, I think it's also about collectively less errors and a better understanding which is strange because Tottenham with a player like Dyer and even Longley, I know he's newer, should have that level of experience and composure. And it must be very frustrating for the Tottenham fan base because they're just giving themselves so many mountains to climb. And it's an unthinkable stat, that run of 10 games in all competitions where Tottenham have conceded first. And of course, on each occasion, you can't always blame a defender because goals come around through different routes. But just once you feel like there isn't that cohesiveness and confidence, then you start to wonder whether a fresh name might just help. And that's not only in the centre-back position, because in the long run, they'll look to replace Hugo Lloris as well. That's not urgent, which again is why I think a defensive revamp might be something more that we see in the summer. But the caveat to that 
is that a player like you mentioned in the form of Alessandro Bastoni was someone that Spurs desperately wanted over the summer. I don't think that he's going to be available in either January or the summer of 2023 because Bastoni is really, really happy at the moment at Inter. And his agent was very genuine in saying that. Sometimes you get agents like with Trossard that fuel anything and everything because it's about creating media attention and putting messages out there to both buyer and seller. But at other times, the agent, both on and off record as a journalist, really gives you the genuine lowdown. And I think with Bastone, he's just very happy where he is. So then you move into potentially Milan Skriniar territory and maybe the good news for Tottenham, because they like Skriniar and Bastoni, is that Inter might have to sell. And even though PSG were the front runners all through the summer, they've never really managed to get a deal. But I don't think Tottenham would be able to move for Milan Skriniar unless they qualified for Champions League because of the price tag. And there's still a high likelihood that with PSG, which is Skriniar's preference, not getting anything agreed either in January or for the summer, Skriniar might just end up signing a new deal and that will put him out of the market. So I think these are two names in Bastoni and Skriniar that are very much targets that Tottenham admire. And they definitely did more than just admire with Bastoni over the summer, but it's going to be very difficult to pull that off in January. And uh, even in the summer with Bastoni, if Inter complete a decent season, he'll want to stay for longer. So that's a factor. And sometimes we forget that. Not every footballer wants to join the Premier League. Not every footballer wants to move across and speak a new language. Not every footballer wants to join a drizzly London compared to where they're at. Not every footballer likes the food and the environment and so on. So it isn't just about Spurs, a wonderful club, great history, excellent manager. And that could be a factor in all of this. Sometimes the footballer just makes a human decision. And it's the same with any of us when we're presented with a job. And I think that Bastoni is just very settled. The other name I would keep an eye on, again, for the summer rather than for now, is Max Kilman at Wolves. And I said this the last time I think we spoke too. Max Kilman has been firmly on Tottenham's radar, but it's about that period in the market when you can move. So there's no point in wasting time and energy if you know that there's no ability to sell. But now, new manager and Wolves are still struggling, and Kilman will be thinking about his aspirations personally, and he'll have been at the football club since we last mentioned it for another year. And come the summer, it wouldn't remotely surprise me, even if he gets on playing under Julian Lopetegui, if Kilman suddenly decides that he would like to make a move. And that, I think, is what Spurs are potentially looking at and waiting for, and he has been one of a few targets for a while because they feel like he's got composure on the ball he's got Premier League experience and might become available at relatively decent fee Spurs are not the only club in the mix but that's just one to watch and I think every time I hear the word centre-back for Spurs and I'm not saying they won't change their approach they might have to because they're shipping goals but every time I hear specifically centre-back compared to right-back compared to creative midfielder compared to winger compared to goal scorer every time I hear centre-back internally within sources I'm speaking to, and I can only talk to my own knowledge, I'm always hearing summer, not January. And that was the case towards the end of the last window. We'll look at it again next summer. And that was the case over the Christmas period before this window opened. So the only thing that might change that is market movement and someone becoming unexpectedly available or alternatively, Antonio Conte going to, again, Daniel Levy and his board and saying, listen, if we're going to qualify for Champions League, we need defensive reinforcements. So I think it is never one to be ruled out, but virtually every 
target that I hear is a summer target, not a January target. Okay, well, it sounds like I need to cancel the order on my Spurs shares of Bastoni in the back. Um, we'll, we'll have to delay for for another six months, maybe. Um, you, you you named a, a number of positions there, Ben, that uh, that have been mentioned for for Tottenham potentially. And I'm going to give you a few quick quick fire positions and a few names. Um, and see if any of them are ones that Tottenham are uh, maybe actively looking at. So starting in the number ten position, uh, Ruslan Malinovsky was a name there, but of course he completed his move today mm-hmm. to join Olympic de Marseille in France. A few other names: there's a 22 year old Brazilian midfielder Tete. There's Azadine Unahi from Anger, who had a fantastic World Cup with Morocco, and the one that keeps coming back, James Madison from Leicester. Have you heard of any of those being of interest to Spurs? Yeah, there's not too much in the links with anybody at this point. So Madison on Spurs' radar for sure, but for the summer. And to get Madison now, they would have to pay a fee that Spurs simply wouldn't want to um put down simple as that so uh, Tottenham can't get Madison in January because Leicester are going to be holding out for relatively crazy money uh, Madison's contract is not like Yuri Tielemans is it expires in 2024 uh, but watch this space if Spurs qualify particularly for the Champions League and Madison stays at Leicester in January they will very much enter the conversation for James Madison and Madison is somewhat keen on London but Newcastle are there as well. And that's the complication here. Are Newcastle going to try something very ambitious in January? And James Madison, or Leicester anyway, financially might have a head turned by that. But I think the thing to understand about James Madison is that he knows how important the next move is, especially in light of the fact that he got an England call up and didn't get any minutes. Yet he had a knee injury. He's still got a knee injury now. But I think Madison feels like, especially with Leicester, highly unlikely to qualify for any European football, that the next move is so key to his England chances over the next two major tournaments. Because whereas Mason Mount got game time at Chelsea, Madison would probably argue his form has been better than Mason Mount's and he didn't get any game time. So is it as glib as if you play for a bigger club, if you play in Champions League, then that helps your England chances. And that might be a consideration for James Madison. But the fee now is well out of what Spurs are prepared to pay. And I even think if Newcastle were to bid, and there's not much optimism on James Madison and Newcastle in January either, I don't think Spurs would enter the race now. So that's James Madison. Onahi would make a lot of sense from Tottenham's perspective. It's actually Leicester and Leeds and Napoli that are the three clubs that have seriously explored this one. But Tottenham are creeping into the conversation. So it can't be discounted, but they're going to have to move quite quickly. And Onger's will in all likelihood be forced to sell this window. And it's going to come down to where the player wants to move to. And I think that seeing what Napoli are doing, he's actually quite lured by that project. So we're going to have to wait and see whether they can get anything over the line. Whereas the Premier League clubs that have circled so far in Leeds and Leicester haven't had much joy yet in convincing Onahi that they're the right club for him. And it's unclear, to be perfectly honest, at least to me, there may be other journalists, particularly in France, that have got a little bit more player insight. But from what I've been told, it's not necessarily only down to the individual clubs. It's also down to whether or not he wants to play in the Premier League, because sometimes when you have a great World Cup, but you're at a club with all due respect to them, like Onger, you would think the spike of that World Cup would guarantee you an incredible move at an incredible rate. 
But clubs aren't stupid. And those looking at Anahi have been doing so long before the World Cup. So they're not going to be lured into some false promise of game time or financial package solely by the World Cup. But of course, the fan base will look at a player like that and think, wow, look at what he did. He'd be perfect for us. But it's still only seven games. And therefore, those that have scouted Onahi in the past have got a bit more context about what he's done at Onguer. And even though he offers a lot in the centre of the park, I think that the wage that he would get and the game time he would get would not necessarily be guaranteed at a Premier League club, which might sound laughable to people listening because they've seen him only at the World Cup. But again, he's come from Onguer. And that's a consideration here, that if he joins Napoli, as I understand it, there's a pitch there around his game time and his pathways. If he joins Leicester, I think he's got concerns, not because he wouldn't necessarily play, but what if they go down? And it will be the same with Jesse Marsh at Leeds, because there's maybe a feeling that on the Leeds front, Marsh won't last necessarily if Leeds don't improve their results. They got a great win away at Anfield, but there's still pressure on Jesse Marsh. And a player like Anahi is going to want to make sure that he's walking into a stable environment and Leicester and Leeds are not stable. So Tottenham isn't in that category, but then you have the flip side of how often is he going to play? And if you look at the volume of Spurs signings over last summer, then how many of them are playing regularly? And is he going to be another one of those or is he going to be an automatic starter? And on his World Cup form, he goes into that side, but it's not guaranteed. So were Spurs to advance this, they need to convince the player not just about the club, because of course Spurs has Champions League football and is competing for Champions League football and is London and is a great stadium and will probably be the best package were they to proceed of any of the suitors in this conversation. But they're also going to have to convince him that this is the right move for him as far as his game time and as far as the transition is concerned. And then with Tete, I think that although I don't have too much to add on this, because as I always say, if I haven't made too many inquiries, I don't offer too much information. So I'm not going to talk too much to the player and Spurs, but I can talk about the Leon side and the challenge with the Leon side. And we might have even discussed this in the last show around the now West Ham player, Lucas Paqueta, who eventually joined. When Paqueta left, it was Jean-Michel Olas, and it was all about the price allowing for a move because the player wanted it. The difference now with Lyon is that John Textor, who we might have spoken about in the summer, is in. And this has been a long-running takeover saga where the American was almost in, and then he wasn't, and then there was deadlines missed, and now he's in. And the reason I bring up Paqueta and this is the only real insight I can offer onto this, and I appreciate it's a bit tangential, but with Paqueta, before he came in, Textor said very openly and bullishly, I don't want to sell him. We're ambitious. The whole point of me buying this football club is we are going to challenge PSG. But he had no control over the situation and the player wanted to move. And Paqueta ended up joining West Ham. Now we have another Leon player and a Brazilian and Textor's in. And it wouldn't remotely surprise me if, and it's only my personal opinion, knowing the Textor camp, he puts his foot down and is much more aggressive and creates much more friction with a simple deal getting done. And that could prove problematic. At this point, 
can't cover every single transfer during the window. I don't know too much about Spurs and Tete, so I'm not going to comment on how advanced it might be. But just keep an eye on that. If there becomes substance to this, are Leon's new ownership group and tech store in particular tougher negotiators and a roadblock to any particular deal getting done, especially mid-season? We'll have to wait and see. Certainly one that I'll look into after this, but not one that I have any particular exclusive insight to add other than fans trying to understand the direction that Leon are heading, which is less of a selling club and a more ambitious outfit over time under their new American owner, John Textor. Well, I think there's... Go ahead, Ricky. You no, I was going to say, Ben, I know we've hit the 20 pass mark. And I know that dog is waiting for a walk. <laughs> Are we OK? They ask you two final questions and we'll let you go. Is that OK with you? That is a fair deal. What a star. <laughs> what a star. Matty, we'll hand back over to you. Uh, and then I'll say we'll carry on from there. I'm just going to say there's something that Spurs fans can relate more to than an owner making a, a simple deal difficult. Um, so that we, we, we completely understand uh, the where, where we're going with that one. Um, on potential outgoing spin, um, some names that are being thrown around, some potential in, in January, someone in the summer, Brian Hill, a player that I think we were perhaps expecting a loan deal for, but his recent form has has bumped him up the pecking order. Um, so with Brian Hill, Joe Roden, uh, maybe being recalled from Wren due to a lack of game time. Tongi and Dombele and his future at Napoli and the Celso with that clause that could see us sell him permanently in January if an offer did come in. Can you see any deals uh, materialising there this month? Yeah, I think that it's going to be interesting, particularly with Lo Celso, to see what happens there. And obviously, when you look at Villarreal, they have agreed personal terms with Denis Suarez and could well strike a deal with the Celta Vigo midfielder. So if he comes through the door, then we have to see how that impacts on Los Celso because both players play in the same position. So we know that Villarreal don't have an option to sign Los Celso, so they have to sit down and negotiate with Spurs if they wish to proceed. And I think that Dennis Suarez's arrival might complicate that situation. So we have to wait and see on that one. But I think that his future will be determined by potentially other Villarreal movement within the market. And then I think that with Ndombele, it's a case of mixed intel at the moment, to be perfectly honest with you. A few people might have seen over the course of, I think, the last 24, 48 hours, a bit of a fallout there, and that might well alter the situation. He's obviously at a club in great form at the moment. He's played, I think, 14 games in Serie A, and that comes off the back of that loan spell that he had at Lyon as well. So we're going to have to wait and see on that one whether or not Napoli choose to exercise their option to buy, which I believe is set at around 30 million euros. I think that when that deal was done, I was always told that Tottenham were relatively confident that the option to buy was going to be activated. And sometimes an option to buy is what's called a give, and other times it's genuine. But I think it was set at a price that Napoli were quite comfortable with. So now we're just going to have to wait and see whether the footage that has emerged over the course of the last few days 
impacts anything. I know that often it's out of context and we can see a heated argument. And this was between Ndombele and the Napoli boss, Luciano Spalletti. And, you know, when a player's on loan, if they fall out with the manager, then they can decide that it's wrong for them. And even if the club were to want to activate the option to buy, the player can obviously still try and force his way back. So I think that the situation at the moment uh, with Ndombele uh, is genuinely still unclear, certainly from people that I speak to. The price, like I say, on that option to buy uh, was not set at a level that Napoli were not comfortable with. Whereas, just to give you an example away from Spurs with Artemelo, there's an option to buy there, but Liverpool said all along they were never going to trigger it. And they agreed to something that was far too high, knowing they were never going to trigger it. And it's in negotiation sometimes something you just concede to as the buyer because you're like, fine, you want to put an option to buy on it? Put an option to buy on it. It's irrelevant to us because we're returning the player to you. And then that number's high. And then if for any reason the player is so outstanding that it leads to the club feeling like we've got no choice but to buy, they then have to pay above market value or try and renegotiate and then suddenly other suitors can come in. So options to buy are not as clear cut as you think. Sometimes they're just gives and concessions. But I was told that this is a number that Napoli were quite prepared to pay. But let's wait and see, because even though it's only one instance, is there any issue now between Spalletti and Ndombele? I wouldn't presume to guess at that. Uh, but when these things go public, it's maybe an indication that more um, information needs to come to light across the second half of the season before we know exactly where we stand. Ben, superb. Thank you so much. Uh, player contracts, probably the best way to kind of end the show on, really. Uh, we've heard reports potentially Spurs might be looking to offer Eric Dyer, Pierre Mihoibienu contracts, Harry Kane's contracts, uh, or lack of a contract seems to rumble on. Anything you can tell us quickly on the potential of new contracts for players at the club? Yeah, I know that Dyer is not the most popular, but I've always been under the understanding that Tottenham would be offering a new deal there. And Hoiberg, again, a player that they would like to offer improved terms to. Not entirely sure what the status there is in terms of if anything has started already. And um, with Kane, I just reiterate what I said at the start of the show, which is that Tottenham is still very calm about the situation. Harry Kane still even with Tottenham fifth in the table, not the same player when he seemingly tried to force a move to Manchester City. And I'm still told by those close to Kane that an opportunity outside of the Premier League is not his preference. I know some think that Bayern might be a viable option and it's a chance just to put silverware in the trophy cabinet because even if Bayern don't go too far in the Champions League, they're likely to get something domestically. And Kane's been at, at Tottenham even though he didn't play any Premier League games since 2010. And he's been scoring goals for Tottenham in the Premier League since 2013. And the honours are still missing. So you can understand why this is pivotal for Kane and he's going to take his time because he doesn't really have more than one big shot at 29 years of age. Sure, he could play until, like a Jamie Vardy, he's 33, 34. But he's only got really one, I think, big opportunity to move. And that's why he'll think long and hard and he'll look at the Spurs project and he'll look at who comes in and he'll look at where they are in the table. So that back-to-back -back Champions League qualification is going to be key. And I think from Kane's point of view, I've been told he's relaxed about the situation and in no rush, not because he's not committed to Tottenham. Actually, his preference would be to extend at Tottenham. 
but beyond a preference of club is a preference of a project moving in the right direction. So even though Conte and Kane's contracts are not intertwined directly, they are in the sense that there's that same similarity about Tottenham moving in the right direction. But I think the difference is Conte moving Spurs in the right direction at a strategic level, at a recruitment level, at a tactical level, is about a lot of moving parts, some of which are out of his control, which is why there might be frustration. But I think Kane still has that confidence that he can just be scoring goals and Tottenham will move in the right direction. And Harry Kane is showing this season that he is still extremely prolific. He's got 15 Premier League goals in 18 games. So why wouldn't he want to continue at Tottenham? But he needs help. He needs support, whether that's investment, whether that's Tottenham offering him a competitive deal, whether that's the defenders keeping clean sheets, because there's such fine margins at the moment. I mean, it's astonishing in many ways when you think about it, that Tottenham are fifth in the table. They've won 10 of 18 games. They've, off the top of my head, scored 37 goals. So that means that only Manchester City and the A-word have scored more. But they've conceded 10, 12 more than some of their rivals. So to be fifth in the table and to be two points off Manchester United and to have games against some of the big teams around them coming up is absolutely astonishing. And if you win the North London derby, then before you know it, you're on 36 points. And even though Arsenal have got a game in hand, you're very close to second place Manchester City, depending on what other results do. And therefore, for Tottenham to have had such a poor, not run in terms of points, but a poor run of games where they've had to come from behind and still be fifth in the Premier League. I know not all 10 of those games were in the Premier League. That's the silver lining here. And then Kane is scoring almost a goal a game in the Premier League. So I think that Kane needs time to see where the project is going, but that doesn't mean he's not committed to Tottenham. And the club are quite prepared to give him that time. And there's a calmness. And even though it sounds like a slightly odd point to make, the reaction at Spurs to him missing that second penalty against France will only help. Because as I understand it, a bit like Saka, when he got that horrible racial abuse after his own moment with England, the club reaction to Kane, support of Kane, player reaction of Kane, even as I understand it from Hugo Lloris privately, who obviously benefited from that penalty miss, is significant. And when a club makes a footballer feel like a human and puts their arm around them and shows solidarity and allows that footballer to feel confidence and not dwell over a moment like that, when in fine margins contract talks take place, that can be beneficial as well. So for me, I've always been told and I've reported it pretty consistently and it's been proven pretty consistently because these Kane links with Bayern aren't now and aren't next summer. They were the last window too. And I was always told that there was nothing leading Kane towards making a knee-jerk reaction outside of the Premier League to Bayern Munich. If anything, it might be another Premier League club that comes along should there be a window of opportunity that might be more of concern to Spurs. But I think Spurs think they have the Kane contract renewal in their control and Kane just wants to wait. Not again, because he doesn't want to sign. I think that if he left, he'd be very sad about it. He'd be gutted to leave the football club, but he would eventually conclude that silverware and a new challenge is right for him. But that's really key to note here, as is my understanding, and I can only tell you what I'm hearing from sources close to the player, that even if he left, this isn't the same situation as Manchester City when they nearly got him. This is a, 
Harry Kane now that is very enthused by the project and the ambition and the spending that he's seen in the last window and the direction of travel. So if it becomes a frustrating end to the season where for whatever reason Spurs take a step back, of course, at that point, he might be tempted. But I think that it's just as likely that Kane will try and sign a contract if things are moving in the right direction on his own terms. And he may be able to say, I'll sign a long-term deal, but you've got to give me an out in a year's time or whenever if you don't qualify for Champions League football. So he can kind of have his cake and eat it to some extent, because at that point, if then Bayern into his early 30s came calling, he could say, you know what? I did another year and then Bayern came calling and now I want to win a trophy because you haven't qualified for Champions League and the contract allows me that out. That I think will be more logical. So don't be surprised if part of any ongoing contract talks with Kane, if things are positive, is also evolved around terms that suit Kane slightly more than now. And that's a consideration as well. There'll be more finesse and complexity. It's not just does he sign or doesn't he sign, it's on what terms might he sign. And now it's too early to be making any predictions. But again, I reiterate, there's a calmness at Tottenham's end and there's a desire, if everything goes according to plan from Kane's perspective, to sign at the club. He's not desperate to leave the club. Quite the opposite. Perhaps he was desperate when Manchester City came calling before Haaland. But now I think he understands the project and it's going to come with hurdles. But that's not to say that he's not invested in Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. So we're going to have to give this a little bit more time. But... I don't think that Tottenham are panicking that something hasn't been signed to date. Ben, I could talk to you and listen to you for hours, but I know as a dog that wants to be walked, then you've been absolutely superb. The love has been pouring in for you in last one on Spurs. I think rightly we have to just say one more time to give you the opportunity to let our viewers and listeners know where they can find even more of the wonderful insight you bring in general. So Ben, please do that. And the customary end always on last one on Spurs is to try and predict in this window, just how many players you think Spurs might sign. So no pressure, maybe the first season and the second part. And we'll take it over to you, Ben, to close this one for us. I'm just going to say two because it's a very average number. It's not zero and horrific. It's not one and underwhelming and it's not three and promising a big influx. So two is really not a prediction, just a sitting on the fence. And then if you'd like to follow me, Jacobs Ben on Twitter, at Ben David Jacobs on Instagram and TikTok. My TikTok's brand new. There's not much on there at the moment, but I hope to do more video content over the course of the January transfer window and beyond. And also just feel free to DM me. As I always say, I don't come to any story pretending to offer some definitive insight because the Champions League kind of aspect to Spurs this season will define their strategy and transfer windows generally are unpredictable. And really what you have to understand as a fan is the insight around a direction of travel because deals change. Things appear certain and then aren't. So we'd love to be black and white, but when you listen to your favorite journalists and I'm sure that I'm not in many's category as that. But when you listen to the best in the business, David Ornstein is certainly somebody that I respect. You'll always see a qualifying word. You'll always see a permutation. And the reason for that is not because we don't know, but because we have to anticipate. And at the same time as Tottenham are saying, we might trigger a release clause for X player. Another club might be saying, we're going to try and hijack that. So as journalists, we are responsible in not trying to create a fake headline, but offering up 
the insight and the direction of travel at time, which can change at any point. And some people like that. And some people just think you're sitting on the fence by doing that. So if you like that, follow me at Jacob's Ben. If you don't like that, don't follow me and get a more black and white answer. And if it happens, then great. And if it doesn't happen, you'll be disappointed. And of course, the best bit of advice I always give is don't follow me or any journalist. Go to bed and wait for your club to officially announce what they're doing. And you'll have a lot more sleep and a lot more hair. And that's another approach. So the blow by blow will frustrate you and I'll give it as best I can. And the non blow by blow that will get you a much better night's sleep is just to go to bed, put a notification on for your club and wait for them to officially announce something and look forward to engaging with those of you that don't want the night's sleep and do want the blow by blow. <laughs> Ben, I know that you should underplay yourself, Elizabeth, and we've got so much love coming in for you here. Like I say, we always, I mean, it's the second time I had you on last one, Spurs. It has been an absolute pleasure. And I think Matt as well, I'm sure you're going to echo those thoughts. Just what a pleasure it's been to share the evening with Ben. I've absolutely loved it. I'm sure likewise, Ben, you're going to agree, right? Uh, likewise, again, Matt, you're going to agree. Oh, 100%. I'm not getting my night's sleep tonight because I'm listening back to this again just to, to try and try and fully fully appreciate what we've the, the incredible guests that we've just had on. Um, ben, I just followed you on TikTok. Um, so <laughs> you, you got one more uh, one more follower. Amazing. There. I, 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 I truly mean it. I'm in awe of the, the, the knowledge and the insight that you've been able to share tonight. So thank you so much for your time and, and give your dog a cuddle from us. Absolute pleasure. And Happy ben. New Year, everyone. Happy New Year from us all. Thank you so much, Ben, for, like I say, coming on, giving us an encyclopedic knowledge of what is happening in and around Top Marksburg's transfer window. From Matty, from Ben, from myself, guys, please, as always, keep safe, keep well, and as always, come on you Spurs. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.